0: Well, good morning again, ZPC, and uh, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm impressed. I didn't think there'd be quite this many after, I don't, I'm not going to ask how many of you stayed up last night to watch the Butler-Notre Dame game that got over, what, after 1 o'clock? And so, um, special dispensation, if you fall asleep this morning, I understand, so... Um, but you know this week we're dealing again with another story very much like uh, last week a story that we don't oftentimes hear about um, on Sunday mornings a story that typically you know again we'll hear like on a Monday Thursday or perhaps a good Friday depending upon uh, your own tradition um, but we get an opportunity to hear the story uh, this morning under the bright lights of a Sunday morning um, rather than under the darkness uh, and so let's um, let's think about this morning what exactly it is that the Lord might teach us this day about the dark scene on the night when they were in the garden of Gethsemane. And so we're going to look this morning then, our own kind of version of this, which won't go as far as the video, at Mark chapter 14, verses 27 through 42. And this picks up directly after, or directly after where we left off just last Sunday. So I invite you to hear these words from Mark. Jesus said to them, You will all become deserters, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though all become deserters, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this day, this very night, before the cock crows twice you will deny me three times. But he said vehemently, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of them said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and keep awake. Going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to say to him. He came a third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning after busy weeks, full of running to and fro, perhaps beginning to prepare for spring break and travels. and I pray that you would help us, God, in this time to be still for a moment, to still our hearts and our minds that they might be open to you. To what you would have to say to us. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, if you weren't here last Sunday, let me just kind of briefly tell you uh, kind of what was happening in the story, which is that it was time for the Passover. And so they were preparing to have the Seder meal. And so they were all meeting up in the upper room, as you may recall. And they were gathered together doing what you do at a a Seder meal. And they were eating and drinking when Jesus all of a sudden told them that one of them there was going to deny him. And so each of them said in their own way as a question, surely not I, though seemingly perhaps not certain it wouldn't be one of them. And they went on with the meal, and then later on, Jesus at some point says to them, he takes bread, and after blessing it, he breaks it and gives it to them. And he said, this is my body. And, And then he takes the cup, and he says, this is my blood shed for you. And after that, they sing another hymn, probably the 118th Psalm, and then they begin to walk out to the Mount of Olives, which is where we come to our passage this morning. They've made their walk. Surely some of their heads are spinning, both from the words being said and, remember, from the four cups of wine that they have been drinking. And, and so there they are in this state, and they're in the darkness. And Jesus, it seems, is not one to pull any punches or for small talk because he immediately says to them, All of you will desert me. And here, of course, not surprisingly, Peter, of all of the disciples, stands up and and says, and you can almost just see him pointing, can't you? Even if everyone else deserts you, I will not desert you, Jesus. Jesus is used to the bravado of Peter. It it doesn't bother him. He, he loves confronting Peter, it seems. And so he immediately tells Peter that before the cock crows twice, you will deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. So Peter, this time, even more vehemently says, Even if I have to die with you, I, I will never deny you. I will never desert you. The others were told, Chime in, and great agreement. They walk a bit further, and Jesus tells the disciples to to sit down, to sit here, he says. But then he, he calls out three of them, Peter, James, and John, the, the same ones who he had come up to the mount or for the transfiguration, as we call it. The, these are kind of the big three, if you will, the, the LeBron James and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade of the disciples, right? The best of the best, the, the creme de la creme, the, the cat's meow, whatever you want to call them. These were the big three, the all-stars of the disciples, the ones that Jesus, it seems, could trust the most, the ones that Jesus had the most hope for. And he said, come with me further into the garden. And so they go further into the garden. Here it's clear to the disciples by what Jesus is doing, whatever he's doing, that he's deeply disturbed, that he's agitated, as Mark says. And can you just guess what they must have been feeling? Here he is, their, their leader, their, their hero, the ones that they've seen do miracle after miracle, do amazing things, who always, it seemed, had things in control. And now he seems so vulnerable, so normal, so much like them. And he says to them, I am grieved even to the point Of death. And he asks from them one thing. One thing. What is that one thing? Stay awake. I saw someone jump up, right? They thought I was talking to them. Stay awake. He needs them in this time. Jesus goes a little further in, it seems, and he begins to pray. And the disciples do what? They're sawing holy locks, right? They're sleeping. I mean, it's not like they're denying him yet. It's not like they've betrayed him. They're not trying to be mean. They're just they're just sleepy. They're just tired. Right? They, they stayed up the night before a bit longer than they should have. They just had four cups of wine. It was dark. It has been an anxiety-inducing time. They fell asleep, and Jesus comes back, and he says, Simon, a name that Peter had not been called for quite a while. Simon, could you not even stay awake for one hour? Stay awake so that you can be ready for the time of trial. So they've woken up, it seems, and Jesus goes back, and as soon as he goes back, what happens? They fall asleep again. And Jesus comes back, and he wakes them up, and I, I'll tell you, if it was me, you know, I would have, I would have done something like, amen, sorry, what's going on, Jesus, how can I help you? But not them. No, instead, I love this, Mark says, they did not know what to say. I mean, how real and honest is that? What an awkward moment if you are the disciple at this point. So surely they're saying to each other, okay, this time we have to stay awake. Jesus needs us. This person who's been here for us, he needs us right now, which feels kind of weird to think that Jesus needs us, but, uh, but, but this is the one time he really needs us, so let's stay awake. And Jesus goes off, and they fall asleep again. This time Jesus comes back, and somewhat ironically, they are rescued by Judas the betrayer. Because before Jesus can say too much to them, he sees the betrayer and he simply says, enough. Get up. Let's go. This is a great story. And a part of why I think it's such a great story is because there on full display for all to see is the humanity, the humanness of the disciples. So often it seems to me it's easy for us who know ourselves well to, to, to think, well, we're not very good disciples. Look at all these times that we keep falling or failing or denying or falling asleep in the faith And I love the fact that here is this great story that if the disciples, that remember the big three, the most important of all the disciples, the top three, the all-stars, if even they, when they are sitting there in the presence of Jesus, if even they can fall asleep, quite frankly, it gives me some peace about the times when I fall asleep. I am incredibly thankful for this passage. Because in those moments when perhaps I may have much less grace for myself than even Jesus would have for me, I can remember these three and think, well, this has been happening for a long time. But something else that's great about this particular passage that was pointed out to me is that earlier in the story, Earlier in the story, what happens when Jesus says, you are going to desert me, he then tells them that after I have been raised up again, I am going ahead of you and I will be there in Galilee. What Jesus is saying is, after you have woken up and after you have denied me, I want you to know right now that I will already be in Galilee. A bit like what the choir sang today, it seems to me, in their anthem. Welcome home. Do you you get what Jesus is saying there? That Jesus is saying, I know what you are going to do even before you have done it and I want you to know even now that I have already, I will already be there waiting for you, welcoming you, forgiving you. It's one thing to forgive somebody for what they have done to you. It's another thing to say, I already know now how you are going to hurt me or cause me pain or sin against me in the future and I want you to know even now that I am going to be there in the end, in the future, with my arms opened up to you. That is a remarkable statement of sacrifice and grace. And so the passage clearly then, it talks to us about the humanity of the disciples and we see a great glimpse of the grace of Jesus. But there's something else, it seems to me, that this story also brings up, which is important for us to look at, which is the humanity of Jesus. Now, that's not something we really talk about a whole lot. If, if you've gone through any kind of, you know, uh, um, what do we call it? We don't call it catechumen. What do we call it here? Confirmation, thank you, inquirer's class, that's what we call it here. If you've gone through that or if you've been in the church long, you've heard the lingo, right, that comes out of the Council of Nicaea that Jesus is fully divine and fully human. So he's fully God and fully human, but the reality is that most times we don't really believe that. Most times we really just act like Jesus is fully God. I mean, yeah, maybe he had flesh, maybe he was here on the earth. Sure, we agree with that, but we don't really wrestle with what it means that Jesus was fully human. And I didn't really think about that much until I got to seminary. And what it was at seminary, it wasn't a particular professor or a great lecture. It was a movie that I saw actually a musical that I saw. And there was one particular scene that for the very first time helped me to really experience the humanity of Jesus. Now I want, to, I want you to see this clip. It comes from a classic 1973 film. If you are younger than me, this is going to seem incredibly lame to you. I want to prepare you for that right now because the 70s were just a weird time. But it's still a great scene, it seems to me. So get past the 70s and take a look at this scene from Jesus Christ Superstar. My time is almost through, little left to do. After all, I've tried for three years, seems like 30, seems like 30. Can hardly see. See me stand, I can hardly walk. I believe you can make me whole. See my tongue, I can hardly talk. See my skin, I'm a mass of blood. See my legs, I can hardly stand. Oh, I believe you can make me well. See my purse, I'm a poor, poor man. Will you touch? Will you mend me? Christ, won't you touch? will you heal me? Christ, will you kiss? You can cure me. Christ, won't you kiss? what you pay me? Christ, See my legs, I can hardly stand I believe you can make me well See my purse, I'm a poor, poor man Will you touch, will you mend me Christ Won't you touch, will you heal me Christ Will you kiss, will you kill me Christ Won't you kiss, won't you pay me Christ See my eyes, I can hardly see See me stand, I can hardly walk I believe you can make me old See my tongue, I can hardly talk See my skin, i a mass of blood See my legs, I can hardly stand I believe you can make me well, see my purse I'm a poor, Will you touch, will you mend me, Christ? Won't you touch, will you heal me, Christ? Will you kiss, me? will you heal me, Christ? Won't you kiss, won't you pay me, Christ? See my eyes, I can hardly see. See me stand, I can hardly walk. I believe really you can make me whole. See my top, I can hardly talk. See my skin, I'm a mass of blood. See my eyes, I Now, it's weird, but I tell you what, when I first saw that, I was over, almost overwhelmed because of the fact that I had never thought about the simple reality of how much people had to be clamoring for him at all times. And if he was human, there's too little of me. He limited himself. And I never thought about the simple fact that, of course, when he had to push out to see, right? This scene's not in Scripture, but the times when he had to push out to get away from the crowds, the times when he had to get away, that Jesus clearly, if you knew that somebody could heal you, think about the masses of people as we hear that would have been coming after you again and again and again. And the fact that if he's human, that he's exhausted, that he could only do so much in that type of situation as being fully human. And I think that that is a significant thing for us to think about. Because it seems to me that this scene, perhaps unlike any other scene, shows us the humanness and the full humanity of Jesus. Because Jesus comes before God, his Father, and he doesn't simply sit there and say a little prayer to God. What does he do? Mark tells us he throws himself on the ground. This is not typical. A Jewish person would have stood to have prayed. He falls, he throws himself like a child on the ground, and he starts pleading for God to change things. Pleading, let this cup fall from me. Please, God, don't let this happen. Can things change? I beg you. Can't you feel the emotion and the grief and the tears as he is asking God to change things? And do you know what God says? He says no. Silence is the answer. And Jesus, we are told, goes back the second time. And what does he do? He prays. We are told the same thing, still hoping that this time maybe things can change. And I want you to know, I think this is absolutely vital for us to not move on to what else Jesus says or move on to the crucifixion or even to the resurrection, but to sit here and to realize that in the darkness of Gethsemane, in the most human that we perhaps ever see Jesus, that there is an invitation for us to be with him and to go in. There is a permission for us to go into those dark places and to beg and to ask for God to change things. Too often I think we don't give ourselves permission to go to those places. And we spend too much time just wishing or thinking, feeling bad about ourselves that we're in that situation or that we're questioning God at all. Or perhaps even we get so upset with God that we leave altogether because we do not see that Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, in the darkness, he is being for us. He is inviting us into that same place. And sometimes when we pray for things to change, God changes them. And sometimes he doesn't. When I was, uh, when Megan and I got married, we were pretty young. That's not true. She was pretty young. I was not. And we thought we wanted to have four children. And so we, we said we'd have them one at a time, but we want four kids, we think. And so we, we did. And, and, and so we had right after we had our first child, we knew that we probably shouldn't wait too long uh, again because I was no spring chicken. So before you know it, it felt like we barely were home from the hospital with Shaughnessy and all of a sudden Megan was pregnant again. And so we were, we were mostly happy. And so, uh, and so we, we celebrated this and and in fact, not long after that, just a few weeks into the pregnancy, we got to go over to, uh, to Europe. My, my sister was living in Germany. We went over to Germany. We got to go, uh, and we dropped off Shaughnessy. This was great. We got to go to Paris for three or four days, and, and, and we were just kind of a little mini celebration, if you will. It was great. And we came back uh, to the States, and, and, and we felt incredibly blessed. And, and, and Megan had a wellness uh, appointment with the doctor just to kind of check with the baby. So, so we went at that point. I would always go with her, and, and we went in. And, and, and so Megan was there laying down, you know, and I was sitting next to her. The doctor came in. And, and so you do what you do with those things. The doctor came in, and he said, all right, well, it's great. Sounds like things are going well. And he, and he put, it, put, put the little instrument on her stomach, and he couldn't find a heartbeat. And he could clearly see some of the pain and the fear that we had, right? And so he said, don't, he go, don't you know, it's still early on. Don't worry about it. We'll go down. We'll, we'll, we'll go to the ultrasound. You know, we'll, we'll check it out. And so we, we made that walk. It was one of the, the, the most difficult walks that I have ever made, quite frankly. We, we walked down to the, to the room, to the ultrasound room, and, 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 and he sat there and he looked, and we stared at that monitor, waiting. And we looked, and sure enough, there was the heart. And there was nothing happening. And I can remember distinctly, like it was yesterday, putting my hand on her stomach, and I can remember pleading to God, please change this. It doesn't have to be like this. You can make a difference here, you can change things, and nothing happened. And that's why this story of Gethsemane, it seems to me, is so remarkably important. Because in that moment of Gethsemane, Jesus is there and he understands and he is with us. And he is saying, I have been there with you and I know what it's like. And so often we try to flee from that. I I had to preach that next Sunday and the next few Sundays. And I can tell you, I did not want to preach. I was I was pissed. I was so angry. On the ground, begging him. And as I sat there again that night with that child that was still at that moment inside of Megan's stomach, I said, I love you. good news is I don't feel the pain anymore. So it just kind of moved right past it. Sometimes we talk about that we want to be like Jesus. And when I talk about it, almost all the time, I talk about how we need to have grace and we need to love like Jesus and all those things. But I want you to know that sometimes being like Jesus means that you throw yourself on the ground and you beg for God for things to be different that sometimes being like Jesus means you feel alone and abandoned by those closest to you and perhaps even by God. Sometimes the answer to the question, what would Jesus do, is that he would throw himself on the ground. And if you are in that place now or if you have ever been in that place, I want you to know that sometimes being like Jesus is being on the ground and is just wishing and not understanding God. That doesn't mean that you aren't a good disciple or that you should just stop following Jesus. It means that you are being like Jesus. And as we think about what it means to be church, it means, of course, on the one hand, that, that we are a people who welcome those who are in that place, who welcome those and care for those, but it also means that we are willing to be in Gethsemane with them. And T. Wright says that, that the church learns from this story that, that we are to be in the middle of that, in the middle of people who are wrestling with their faith and who perhaps are questioning God and who are begging God for things to be different But it also means being around and surrounded by people who are probably always going to struggle with fall asleep in their faith and deny Jesus at times and and run away from him and make promises they can't keep. That the community of Jesus is a community oftentimes that is in Gethsemane with one another. The story of Gethsemane is is the story about our relationship with God and about growing in our maturity in Christ and our relationship and having more grace towards ourselves than we should, but or than we often have, I should say. And it's also about our relationship with others. It is about having more grace on others and perhaps we oftentimes have. Having grace towards others when they're struggling, but even having grace on them when they aren't acting like good disciples. I don't know what a good disciple acts like, but If you look at the disciples in the story, they don't always act that great. Sometimes we talk about being a community that not only, you know, says that, you know, it's not asking for perfection for ourselves, but perhaps it's also sometimes about having more grace than we often do for one another. There's a question about what kind of community might we be if we were that type of community. How might we experience Jesus in a different way, in a more human way than we oftentimes do. Sometimes we're in Gethsemane. Sometimes we move forward and we, 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 we die with Christ and sometimes we're raised with Christ. This is a journey and we always talk about it being a journey, but sometimes we still have this image that this is a done deal and that you come here and it's a done deal and if you're not done, you at least act like it. But you can only fake it for so long. I love what one of our covenant children I heard that she had said earlier this week, which was, you know, it's too bad that Jesus has to die again this year. The reality, of course, for us is that just like we do annually, almost annually, we will be in different places. We'll go through a time of Gethsemane where we may not understand and where we struggle We'll go through times when it seems like everything's going right and we're seeing God work in miraculous ways. We'll go through times when we have to die to ourselves. We'll go through times when we see Jesus appear alive in our lives. Wherever you are, I want you to have permission to be there. And if at this time it seems more like you're going through a time of Gethsemane, I want you to know that Jesus is there with you. And my hope and prayer is that the people you see around you, the very human people you see around you, they will be here with you as well. For Christ, fully human, fully divine, and for Christ alone. Amen.